How good to be together this morning and bless his name together. Well, I want you to think about your dad right now. And I want you to think about the first time that you heard your dad say those wonderful words. I love you. Maybe it was as a young, young child. Or maybe like me, it wasn't until later in life. Truth is, some of you are still waiting to hear those words. Is Dad ever going to say it? And for others, it's a pretty painful question. Dad's gone. I never heard it. I never will. Josh Weidman, in his book, Dad, If You Only Knew, has listed out eight things that teens want their dads to know about but don't ever have the nerve to tell them. And, and the first thing is just this, Dad, please tell me you love me. The second one's pretty close to it. Dad, love me with actions, not just with words. Number three, Dad, I need your friendship. Dad, number four, you've always been my hero. You may be, not be Superman anymore, but you're, you're my hero. You've always been my hero. Dad, 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 I need you to listen to me. I need you to hear me. Dad, just be real with me. Take the mask off. Just be real. Dad, please be my coach. Help me figure out who I am. I'm convinced that within each of us, God has placed a hunger for Father's love. We we have that. We long for that. And most of what these teens want, I think, centers around that common thread. They, They want to know that their dad loves them. They want to hear it. They want to see it. They desperately want to be involved in a relationship that's based on mutual love and respect. And so we're continuing our series on God's indescribable gift of his son, Jesus Christ, the promised Savior. And we've come to Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 9, and he's got four gifts under the tree, so to speak. These four titles of Christ, the Savior. What's he going to be like? Well, he's going to be the wonderful counselor. No, you can't see it over there, but you've got to take my word for it. It's over here, wonderful counselor. And then he's our mighty God. That was last week. And today, we unwrap the third present, and we find out that he is to be called Everlasting Father. Jesus Christ, the child born in Bethlehem, is the Everlasting Father. So let's go back to Isaiah's prophecy again. You'll find it on page 489. It's up on the screen or Isaiah chapter 9 in your Bible. We'll read through verses 1 through 7. Isaiah writes, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You've enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood 
will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So this is what we've been looking at this past few weeks and continue on today and then on Christmas Eve. And by way of reminder, if you were here or if you're new, uh, here's what we learned from God's Word, that the promised Savior, this promised King is Jesus, and He's a Savior for everyone. He's this King that will reign forever, and His kingdom is all about perfect justice and complete righteousness and lasting peace. And for that reason, that he's a promised Savior for all people, there's no more gloom. This is good news. And this promised Savior King, Jesus, brings us just what we need this Christmas 2006. As the light, he brings us guidance in verse 2. He increases our joy in verse 3. He brings freedom as he shatters the things that burden us. He also brings lasting peace. Seen in verse 5, the warrior's boot and his garment rolled in blood, thrown into the fire, no longer needed. And we see that this promised Savior, King Jesus, has come as a child, and he is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He came as a child. He's Emmanuel, God with us. Just what we need this Christmas. Now, today we want to focus in on Everlasting Father. Now, a word of caution, and it's this. Don't let your earthly father define the Everlasting Father. I mean, our fathers will point to dimensions of what it means for Jesus to be the Everlasting Father. But don't let your father define Jesus. Don't let your father define God the Father. And so let's make some clarifying comments. What is this not saying? What this is not saying is that Jesus Christ, who is named the Everlasting Father, is God the Father. Now, for some of us that are that are searching out the claims of Christianity and Christ, you go, well, I, what's, I, don't, I don't understand what you're saying. Well, the Bible teaches this about the nature of God. There is one God who eternally exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Each of those are fully God. And so when Jesus is called the everlasting Father, the prophecy is not confusing the categories or the persons, so to speak. He's not calling Jesus God the Father. What is it doing? When Jesus is called the everlasting Father, he's called that to help us understand how this promised King, how this promised Savior relates to his people. What kind of a king is this? What kind of a kingdom is this? Is he establishing? Ah, he's a king that loves his people like a father. 
And that word, that very word, speaks of relationship. It demands a child. That word was never spoken about me until August 16th, 1985, when Laura Christine came into this world. What a happy day that was. I was named a father. Now, I just want to say I was 27 there, not 17. Uh, I, I look at it and go, I look like I was 17. But that's the day I became a father. The very word speaks of relationship. And let me suggest to you that at the heart of this title, Everlasting Father, is the concept of a loving, compassionate father. So, so look at some of these pictures of a father and his children walking hand in hand, wrestling there on the floor, reading to his children, and then modeling. You've got Jackie Bremer, bottom left here, smoking her bubble pipe just like dad. Isn't that great? <laughs> but, but I want you to see what the prophecy's doing as it brings these two titles together. Mighty God... An everlasting father. So go to the next slide, and you see this powerful man tenderly holding his newborn child. And, and it reminds us, as the titles come one after the other, that we don't have a powerful God who's way off in the distance, that is completely indifferent about us. No, we have an everlasting father who is all-powerful, who loves us who's close, who has a relationship with us. He is an everlasting father, everlasting father. Well, let's talk about how then does a father show his love for his children? What does it mean for Jesus to be called our everlasting father? Well, fathers give us life, don't they? Proverbs talks about, listen to your father who gave you life. Jesus says in John 10, 10, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. He says, believe in me and you'll have everlasting life. In John chapter 3, he talks to a man named Nicodemus. He says, Nicodemus, you need new life. You need to be born again. You need spiritual rebirth. And I can give you that. That's what Jesus brings. Life. Life that's full. Life that's lasting, everlasting, eternal. Fathers give life. But fathers also sustain life. They provide for us. Jesus knew this, that fathers give us what's good for us, not what's wrong for us. So in Luke chapter 11, he writes, or he spoke, and Luke wrote down for us, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so, fathers provide. And Jesus does that for us. All spiritual blessings are ours in Christ. When Paul talks about the love of a father and how he loved his people like a father, as he wrote to the Thessalonians, he said this, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Fathers who provide don't just do so physically. 
but they do so emotionally. And Jesus is our everlasting Father spiritually. We were talking about this very thing in staff meeting this week. And Cal relayed the story of how his dad loved him in just that way. And so we're going to cue up a video and let you hear from Cal right now. My father was not an emotionally expressive person. I can never remember a time hearing explicitly from his lips those treasured words, I love you, son. Growing up as a kid, it seemed as though his emotional expression was to his work and to the church that we attended. Yet at the same time, I never doubted his full love for me. There is one time in particular when I was very much aware of that. It was in the sixth grade when I got the measles. I had them quite severely. I lost six weeks of school. Apparently, scratching the sores, I must have inadvertently uh, rubbed my eyes and the the measles spread to my eyes. The eyes in response produced tears, tears laden with salt. The salt burned the eyes, which produced more tears, and the cycle went on relentlessly. At the height of my pain occurred on a Sunday morning, and I remember my dad uncharacteristically, specifically staying home with me to wipe those tears, to play games with me, to take my mind off of the pain. And I remember specifically the room, I remember specifically the pain, but more than anything else, I remember explicitly the emotional comfort and support that my dad gave me on that occasion. What a beautiful picture of a father wiping his son's tears, and it takes us to Revelation chapter 7, where it talks about God wiping away every tear from our eyes. Because heaven's going to be a place where there's no more suffering, no more death, no more pain, no more sorrow. He wipes it all away. Jesus is our everlasting Father who provides, sustains our lives. Fathers also protect life. Jesus knew of this and he prayed to the Father and he said, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name in John 17. The name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. And let me suggest that the father's protection of a child is instinctual. You don't even think about it. You just automatically do it. I was reminded of that fact when I heard the story, the tragic story of a young man, a father, who went to a car dealership with his son. This happened in the Chicago area just a few years ago. And as they were walking around the dealership, they were walking along the side of the building when someone was pulling into a parking spot. And the person driving the car missed the brake pedal and hit the accelerator by accident. And in a moment's notice, he did that which was instinctual to him. He reached down, he picked up his little boy, and he raised him up above the height of the oncoming car's hood, saving his son's life, only to be crushed to death by the car. It's instinctual for a loving father to do that. And Jesus is our everlasting father who did just that. 
He did just that. And it wasn't just a matter of instinct. It actually was a matter of something that he'd thought about before this whole world was created, Revelation 13.8 tells us. That before the whole world was created, the Godhead decided that Jesus Christ, the Son, would take the blow that we deserved in our place. He did that. This is the kind of father king that we have, one who loves us, would protect us, would lay down his own life for us. He did that. Fathers not only protect, though, they prepare us. How so? Well, they teach us, they correct us. Dads, what are we called to do in Ephesians 6? Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. We teach and we train our kids, preparing them for life. Jesus does that. He prepares us for this life and the life to come. And fathers who love their sons, their children, they'll also discipline them. Because the opposite of love is not hatred. It's indifferent. And Jesus, as our everlasting father, is not indifferent. He disciplines us. So we read in Hebrews, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. And so when we come to this grand title of Jesus, Everlasting Father, don't let your experience of your father, positively or negatively, shape your understanding of it. But may these truths that we've just rehearsed help you understand the kind of king that we have, one who gives life, one who sustains life, one who protects and protects our life by dying in our place, one who would teach us and love us enough to correct us. This is the kind of ruler that we have. The mighty God who has all powerful uses his powerful to tenderly care for us like a father. Now you juxtapose that with the all-powerful leaders that we've seen in the last century. Like a man like Idi Amin. What do we know about Idi? Well, he killed hundreds of thousands of his own people as they fled in terror from his tyrannical rule. What do we know about Pol Pot? In four years, between 75 and 79, this Cambodian ruler wiped out two million of his own people. What do we know about Hitler? Well, it's maybe being debated this week in Iran, but history is clear. Wiped out six million Jews, many from his own country. What about the current president of Sudan? Omar al-Bashir, who's killed thousands. Last I saw, 180,000 of his own people, leaving two million people homeless, destitute, as he and his militia have burned down village after village. These are people, these are kings, these are rulers who have ruled with an iron fist. This is not our king. This is not King Jesus. These are people who lived in luxury when their own people lacked food and shelter. These are people who did not, kings that did not give life. These are kings that snuffed out life. They didn't protect their people. They didn't provide for their people. They were wicked men who did not have their own people's best in view. But this is not our great king, even Jesus Christ. 
He is the tender, everlasting Father. And we know about that because when you read about his life, you read this phrase countless times in the scriptures. He was moved with compassion. What is compassion? It's not just looking at somebody and saying, man, I feel bad for them. It's not just empathy. It's taking that empathy and doing something about it. It's taking that love and moving it out into action. And repeatedly we read about Jesus moved with compassion. He's moved with compassion when he sees the sick and he does something. He heals them. He's moved with compassion. When he sees these people who've hung out for a couple days now listening to him teach, he goes, man, these guys are hungry. So he feeds them. He's moved with compassion when he says, you're like sheep that are lost without a shepherd. And so he teaches them and says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I'm the good shepherd. I know you by name. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He had compassion to even Judas, the disciple who betrayed him. And when he came with the armed guards of the priests, And they arrested him. He said to him, friend, compassion even to the end. Compassion to those who would murder him when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He said that to the people that were spitting at him and mocking him, who pressed the crown of thorns in his head, who nailed his hands and feet to the cross. He was moved with compassion even to his enemies. To the humbled thief on the cross hanging next to him when he said, remember me. Remember me. And he said, today you'll be with me. Moved with compassion when he saw his mother weeping and wailing at the foot of the cross. And he said, John, good friend, take care of my mother. Behold your mother. Mother, your son. Moved with compassion. This is the God that we have, Jesus Christ, the everlasting Father. In Weidman's book, at the beginning of it, he tells a story of this dad in Madrid, Spain, who's just heartbroken over his son and his lost relationship with his son. He's left home as this rebellious son, and he doesn't know where he is, and he's trying to reach out to him and restore the relationship. And the only thing he knows what to do is he's going to take an ad out in the paper. So he does. And the ad read something like this, Paco, come home. All is forgiven. I'll meet you on the steps of the newspaper's office on Monday at 4 p.m. I love you, Dad. So you know what happened on Monday at 4 p.m.? Father shows up. He doesn't find his son. But there's... 200 young men with searching eyes and hopeful hearts, hoping and wondering, because they have the name Paco. Is it my dad? Is it my dad who took out the ad and is extending his mercy and grace and love? And Jesus says to us in the scriptures, come home, I love you. Meet me at the foot of the cross. Jesus talked about this very thing when he told the parable of the prodigal son. You remember the story? Maybe you don't. About this young guy, he's growing up in the farm and 
he gets the idea that, man, I got to bust out of here. I'm bigger than this little small town. And dad, give me my inheritance because I'm heading for Vegas and I'm going to have a great time. And he does and he blows it all. And he hits bottom when he realizes as he's feeding the pigs, the pigs have more than he does. And he knew he hit rock bottom when he realizes, I'd like some of that food right now because I haven't eaten for days. So he comes to his senses, Jesus says. He has a whole change of mind. He says, you know, I'm going to go home. I I don't expect for my dad to take me back as a son, but I'm going to ask him if in his pity and mercy he would take me back as a hired slave, a servant. So we read in Luke's account, chapter 15, verse 20, these words. Jesus picks up the story for us. But while he was still a long way off, that is, the son, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. And let me suggest to you today that he sees you, even if you're far away from him. And his heart is filled with compassion towards you because his love is not conditional. Did you have a dad who you thought, the only way I get his love is I got to perform? This isn't the kind of father we're talking about. It's an unconditional love. His heart is full of compassion for you. And he ran for you. He ran right out of heaven's throne room, right into a filthy stable. And he ran from that stable all the way to the cross for you. Because he saw you. And his heart was filled with compassion for you. The story goes on. Read verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he's ready to offer him, I'll be your slave. When the loving father stops him. And the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a party, a feast, and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And if you and I had a chance to meet that son that night, at the end of the day, after the party, we said, tell me about your dad. You know what you say? He's unbelievable. He is so merciful to me and kind and gracious. I didn't deserve any of this. I just blew all of his inheritance that he worked so hard on. He's been kind. But you know what? There was a there's another son in that family. And if we walked to the other tent of his brother and said, tell me about your dad. Well, here's what the scriptures record about him. He said, my dad? Well, let me tell you what I told my dad. Hey, look, I've been here all these years slaving for you. You never once threw a party for me. My dad's not loving. He's a harsh taskmaster. He doesn't love me. You see that? Two guys with the same father, totally two different opinions. This is Jesus. Do you have a different opinion? Let me suggest to you from the beginning of time, Satan's been pushing the lie that he's not. 
that he is a slave driver, that he doesn't have your best in view, that he won't give you life. You're going to have to get it on your own, and you're going to have to fight for everything on your own. And there's nothing you can do that will ever make him happy. He's the kind of guy who's just looking for you to mess up and squash you. It's a lie. Jesus is the king who loves you like a father. And it's everlasting and it's unconditional. And if you don't know him as king, today's the day to bow your knee and say, you're the king. This is the father that I need, that I've longed for all my life. This is the kind of king that I want to serve. I'm serving myself, and I am desperately looking for something more than that. It's Christ. Receive him as your king. And then if you say, well, he is my king. I'm worshiping his king. Well, let me ask you this. This week, have you been his child? Have you been a son or a daughter whose heart is full of mercy and compassion? Let's not even go to our enemies. Let's just go to, let's just go to the people that we know and love. Is that what we gave out this week? Love and mercy and compassion? This city... The greater area of Madison is a lot like the teenager. Their number two need. Door Creek, don't tell me that God loves me. Show me the money. I want to see it. And they deserve to see it. If he's our father and we are his children, then we need to be people who are full of mercy and kindness and compassion that pursue the things of his kingdom, justice and righteousness and peace. Friends, may we, in this place, be known for those things as we point them to our everlasting Father, Jesus, our King. Let's pray. Lord God, what a great God you are. What a great thing that your son would come and lift us up from a careening car out of control from the wrath that we deserved because of our rebellion. And what a great God that you would jump down out of heaven's glory and chase us with arms open wide. What a great God that it's not about what we do. We can't merit your love. It's free. It's a gift. What a great God that you would rule over us with all power and all wisdom and with all the tenderness of an everlasting Father. We bless your name and we pray that you'd give life today as people receive you as king. We pray that you would strengthen us to be more like you, full of mercy and compassion. We pray that this church in this great city would be known as people 
who love like their Lord. In Christ's name we pray, amen.